Welcome to WKXL in the Morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. You listen to the show weekdays from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. right here on 1450 a.m., 103.9 FM Concord, 101.9 FM Manchester, and on demand at nhtalkradio.com, as well as our 24-7 live stream. This week, we have reporter Ethan DeWitt from the New Hampshire Bulletin. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. So NewHampshireBulletin.com to uh, check out his articles that we're going to be discussing. Uh, but let's start off with all sorts of housing things have been discussed this week in, in your articles. Let's start off with uh, the state deciding to distribute $50 million to build 1,472 new rental units. Uh, that's a big deal. Yeah, so this is part of the governor's Invest NH program. Essentially, uh, you know, as you know, the state received a lot of federal COVID relief money, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And the governor decided to devote $100 million of that towards uh, a program that is intended to um, spur the construction of rental units in the state. Uh, This is a particularly acute area of concern because right now our rental vacancy rate is about 0.5%. Um, a, a healthy amount is about 4 to 5%, according to economists. And with the vacancy rate so low, that means that rents have really increased. Uh, you know, Houses are hard to find, but also rental units are hard to find. And when people can't find houses, they need rental units. So uh, there are estimates that we need 20,000 rental units uh, in order to get the market in a healthy um, place. This initiative uh, is funding 1,400. Uh, so so obviously not uh, there, but it is a um, the, the, a significant milestone for this program. Uh, this week, the executive council approved it, and it, they approved fifty million dollars to go out to a list of developers that the state had chosen. Um, over over one hundred and seventeen applied uh, for this oh, wow. money and about 30 of them received it. So that was what the new development this week, we've watched this program grow over the last few months, but this week was the first time that the money was actually approved and will now head out to those developments. And Invest NH is something we've talked about multiple times on the show here, and I've spoken with Jeff Feingold several times. I mean, has the rollout of that been pretty successful? It seems like a lot of money has been out the door. Yeah, so this is more or less the timeline that the state gave us. Uh, they It was a very short timeline. The yeah. program was approved uh, essentially in the beginning of summer, and the developers only really had about two months, if I remember, to uh, get an application in order. It was due at the end of August, and there were some strings attached. Uh, Initially, there were no requirements that the units be affordable, but after pushback from the executive council, the um, the business and the Department of Business and Economic Affairs under Governor Sununu came back. They added some affordability requirements. And uh, the, again, as I said, the deadline was the end of August. And then so since from September to about now, uh, the state has been uh, reviewing the applications and they say trying to get a geographic distribution. Um, all 10 counties are represented in the list of developments. And so they said they were trying to get some of these housing um, uh, developments in communities, you know, as far north as Littleton to um, to like Nashua, et cetera. And um, so the list finally came out this week and was finally approved, um, as I said. Um, yeah. So. 
I, I guess my concern, and it seems like it's a concern of um, Councillor Ted Gatz as a Manchester Republican, is how much are these units going to cost for the people that live there? Because if, if it's going to be costing like like um, was it three hundred thirty thousand dollars per rental unit is a huge amount of money. Like you can get a, a small house in the state for that price. Yeah. So that is a, a, a key question. Um, the the short answer is that about 62% of the 1,472 units that are being created, according to the state's numbers, about 62% are going to be rented at a, an affordable rate. And that's defined as a rate affordable to households who make 80% or less of their area median income. Now, obviously that'll change depending on whether you live in the seacoast or up in Coas County. Um, but the idea is that they, they're, you know, there has to be some guarantee that the that the units will be affordable. So again, that 62%, that leaves 38% that do not have to meet those affordability requirements. Those will presumably be set at the market rate by the developers. Um, and developers argue that they need to have uh, a balance for certain developments in order to make it profitable in order to, in order to uh, you know, because they're taking out a lot of credit to, to build these things. Um, but affordable housing advocates say that, uh, you know, the whole point of this using these federal mon- this federal money is that it should have gone to uh, exclusively affordable units. Uh, that was a big argument that was raised. So the state uh, when it devised this program after some pressure from both the executive council and from affordable housing advocates, as I said earlier, they did add affordability requirements. Um, but for projects that are over $3 million, the cost of them, the whole total price tag is over $3 million, which is most um, major projects. The requirement is, I believe, about 20% of the units need to be at that affordable rate. So that, that's a pretty low requirement. Um, in the end, the like I said, the, the units that were approved, 62% of them are at that level. Um, and so there, there's arguments on both sides, you know, uh, and I, I think that some affordable, affordable housing advocates would have liked to see more be explicitly affordable. Obviously, Councilor Gatz has raised that concern uh, as well. Um, but then others say, well, this is sort of just the, the reality of building housing housing in the state. So um, it, it's a difficult balance. Yeah, it definitely is. And because I like as someone who lives in lives in Concord, like the, that, whatever that market rate is, has drastically increased over my 12 years that I've lived in the town. Like it, before when I first moved here, it was like a three bedroom, like a decent sized one was $1,200 a month. And now yeah. you're spending 3000 So the market rate is, is is really a dangerous game to play for new housing, unfortunately. Yeah. And that was one of the arguments to um, being made by affordable housing advocates, which is that because, you know, obviously this is a hundred million dollars is in this program, but a lot of the money is going to incentives for towns. It's going to incentives for them to change zoning laws. Um, and so about 60 million of the, of the, of the hundred million is actually going directly to developers. So affordable housing advocates were saying, well, if this is not going to get us on its own to 20,000 units, we should make all of this go to at least affordable units, because even if all of these units were affordable, um, the math just wouldn't add up enough to get us 
us to be, have affordability overall. Like when you have a, a vacancy rate so low, like we do, mm. rents are going to increase, like you mentioned, and they have been. Um, so that was the argument being made. Again, the senior administration said that you needed to balance, you needed to present something that was actually realistic that developers could respond to quickly. They needed to get the money out quickly. So um, that was sort of, again, the tension here that they had to navigate. Um, but I think the end result, I think that, well, it definitely everybody's excited to have more units, especially in those living in these communities. The bigger picture here is that this is still, you know, a, 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 a one small piece of what the state needs. And the, there isn't going to be another hundred million dollar pot next year or the year after that or the year after that. And that's where uh, we're going to need to really see communities start to look at housing differently. Co um, companies are, you know, crying out for this. Uh, this is a big workforce issue for them. And so it's it's in the COVID has obviously exacerbated this. So it's I'm really interested after this money is all distributed and these these units are built. I'm really interested to see where the rest where this pressure continues to be applied and which communities decide, OK, we'll finally give uh, a development a chance here because, you know, our, our local employers really need this. And for the record, I ain't living in a three-bedroom apartment in downtown Concord. Just throwing that out there. I live in a two-bedroom that I've managed to secure a good rent because I've lived here forever. It's throw throwing that out there. I don't make very much money. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> of, of rental uh, assistance, there is this confusing bit of information about more funding coming for rental assistance, but it was extremely limited for what I was going to be covering. What, what's going on here? Yeah, so this is a separate program. This is not the program, the $100 million program to build rental units. This is a program that has existed through the pandemic that was essentially uh, helping families who were hit by the pandemic and had suffered financial consequences stay in their apartments because uh, there was a big fear that there could be an eviction crisis, um, you know, with uh, a lot of incomes kind of were stagnant, et cetera. Uh, so the, the federal government, um, Congress approved two different tranches of this. And I'll try to make this not too confusing or in the weeds, but they did it in the, at the end of 2020, there was this big spending package. You might remember around December. And then there was another big one, the American Rescue Plan Act in 2021 around March. Um, these two acts gave a lot of money, hundreds of million, millions of dollars into this fund that was um, distributed by the U.S. Treasury to different states um, to, to allow uh, tenants to apply to get rental relief. Essentially, landlords and tenants would work together and they would get rental relief. Um, they could also get their utilities paid for um, for a certain amount of months. So a lot of people in New Hampshire have taken this up. It had a slow rollout initially. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of red tape. There was a lot of paperwork that needed to be done. So the money wasn't going out, but eventually the state got it together. About $240 million has been distributed, but um, as of last week, this program is uh, pretty much likely to end. It's it's uh, the Treasury did not approve the state's latest request for more money here. And that's created this mini political crisis because it means that this money that a lot hundreds of families were relying on to be able to stay in their apartments is going to end December 29th. And so that has thrown a big wrench. And that's uh, something that the that. Democrats and Republicans are finger pointing about right now and housing advocates are saying, let's everybody just 
stop yelling at each other and let's actually come up with solutions to help some of these people who might face eviction around Christmas time. It's such a difficult situation because on, on one hand, this program was created to get us through COVID-19 and deal with the issues of people weren't able to necessarily go back to work. The amount of work that they were able to do was likely very limited, especially if you were in the service sector, the food service sector, like retail, things like that. Jobs were way downsides. Um, that's not the situation anymore. And mm. this is what's tough with this. This is the Republican case every time when it comes to not starting new government programs. This seems like just the total stereotype of that, mm. where as soon as you start introducing a program that families rely on on a regular basis for a year or two years, it's hard to get them to no longer have that and because mm. they've arranged their whole life around it. You've budgeted around it. You assume this money's there, even though long term, you know in the back of your head, this isn't going to last forever. This is going to change. But it, but it totally changes the way your finances work. And if you have kids especially, um, you can only work so much. You tend to rely on it because, hey, I, it allows me to be home with my family more, for example. Yeah. It, it, it's tough. I see both sides when it comes to that. I think it's an interesting example, too, of sort of how you – unique Sununu is as a politician because he's a Republican. He's taken, you know, he's he's cut taxes. He's, he's taken some fiscally conservative moves. But on the other hand, he also does embrace federal spending quite a lot. He embraced a lot of the COVID spending. He set up a lot of these programs. This rental relief money, he he helped set up, obviously, uh, you know, I, most every state was doing this at one point, but, but we were as well. And so for him now, uh, this program is ending and he has uh, written some, uh, you know, very uh, critical letters to uh, to Janet Yellen uh, at the Treasury and also has has come out with some pretty blistering statements blaming Yellen and the Treasury for leaving families out in the cold. But to your point about kind of um, programs, this is a difficult one because it was eventually going to end. So some so uh, housing advocates say there should have been a plan B. We should have some off ramp. We should have seen this coming. Um, but just to go back to my original point, as for Sununu as a politician, you know, again, this is a, a weird position for him to be in because he doesn't he has said he doesn't really support these big federal spending bills. He he didn't support them in Congress. But when they were passed, he obviously embraced them. And now that this one is effectively ending for the state, he's saying that Treasury ripped the rug underneath the state too quickly, should have given more advance notice, et cetera. Um, so it is like a weird kind of uh contradiction in, in some ways. Um, but it, it is, I, the, the governor is right that this is going to affect a lot of people. Um, advocates are saying, well, we need to now prepare for that. We have two months. Um, what's the plan? Let's free up some other money. Let's let's do something to kind of taper people off of this. It's unclear what is coming, though. Um, I've been trying to talk to state officials, and I'm not really sure if there is a plan. Um, I think it's it's most at this point. The plan is just to people will transition off when the money runs out for them, and they will be connected to other services that exist now. But what that looks like at the end of December is going to be really interesting. I, I have no idea. I want to take the last five minutes here to talk about uh, continuing with Sununu a little bit here, uh, expansion of Education Freedom Account program possibly, and uh, uh, Republicans and Sununu touting that as something they want to do. 
Yeah, so we've talked about the Education Freedom Account program. Um, just to briefly uh, remind everybody, this is the program that was passed in 2021. It allows parents to take the portion of money that uh, would go to their local public school if their kid attended that public school and take it and reapply it uh, and use it for non-public school, whether that's private school, home and home school uh, expenses, and other related expenses. So uh, the program right now is targeted to low-income families, um, families making up to 300% of the federal poverty level. Um, that is effectively for a family of four, that's somebody making up to $83,000 a year. Um, there had been some buzz when the program first passed that that Republicans who passed it wanted to raise that, but I think there was a sense in the first year that, no, this is too early, we need to see how this does. When the program was implemented, Democrats, I should say, have opposed this program. Um, they say that it's diverting money out of the education trust fund uh, and that it will, you know, as, as take up increases, it will uh, become a budgetary burden on the state as more and more families every year join. Um, but anyway, as, as it was launched, it became very popular. It's doubled in size in the last year from its first year, and its first year was much higher than projected. So there's a lot of interest in this. And now that it's been in effect for almost two years, um, Republicans are now looking at raising the income cap. So right now, again, uh, the, it's capped at uh, somebody in a family of four making up to $83,000. That's not that a high salary. Um, if they were to raise it, one proposal would be to raise it to 500% of the federal poverty level. That's about $140,000 for a family of four. So now you've got between 83,000 and 140,000. That is a lot that's, more people in the state who could use this. That's um, majority and so that of families, seems, families in the state at that level. I mean, that's considerable. Yeah. And the, uh, the goal, I've talked to the Republican sponsor of this, and she says that the goal is to target the middle class, that she says the middle class is often left out of uh, programs like this. Uh, and there's a cliff usually, and anybody making above that doesn't get the benefit, and she'd like to expand that to middle class. So what's interesting is that Governor Sununu has been, hasn't really ta talked about this in the last two years, but in the last two weeks, at two debates, um, he has expressed support for raising the, the limit. I asked him this week what that limit where he would go, would he go, raise it to 500%? There's a proposal to remove the cap entirely so that every family of any income level could use these funds. Uh, he said he, ha he hasn't decided yet, but that he's open to raising it, which is a significant step, especially if Republicans keep control of the state house. And when you look at the the stories of families that have taken advantage of it, I mean, it's really good anecdotes for for the right to show that the program is successful. And it seems like from the left, the only thing they're able to say is you're hurting public education, but they don't have any real specific numbers per se that they reference when they use that argument. And they also say they're not happy about funding um, religious schools that were already yeah. having these students in place. And one argument that, they, uh, that Democrats are also making is that other states have done these programs. Sometimes they're voucher programs. Sometimes they're like this. It's like a savings account program. In, in the other states that have done them, most of them have not allowed um, students to use them unless they're in public school now. Because the idea is this is for kids whose public school is not working for them and they want to leave and they want the means to do that. But New Hampshire actually opened this program up for anybody, whether they're in public school or not. So if you've been attending a private school for your entire, uh, you know, um, school your educational career then you can still access your family can still access these funds or if you've been homeschooling the whole time your, your family can act so democrats say that this is 
problematic because what ended up happening is that stats show that a large proportion of, of, of kids who are in this program never attended public school and that they say that's where the budgetary issue is that the school, the state is effectively um, subsidizing pre- people who were never going to go to public school. That's their argument. And they worry about budget, uh, budget the budget kind of growing. Right now, it hasn't shown to, to be a big uh, limit on the budget. It's unclear where that might go if you raise the cap. Obviously, that would open it up to a lot of families. There's just a lot of unknowns. And this is going to, if they push for this next year, it'll definitely be a big political fight next year, uh, depending on how the legislature shapes up after the election next week. My two second final take on is like, this is totally the ethics of the libertarians here in New Hampshire. They, they got a huge win with this program. It paid off. The, they were the conservatives sided with them on it and they got it done. And it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward to, with both sides, definitely having opinions on whether yeah. or how the program continues. All right. Ethan DeWitt over the New Hampshire Bulletin, newhampshirebulletin.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, AJ. WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kierset. We'll be right back after this.